Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Ed, and welcome to The Call for this Thursday Easter Eve. It's great to have your company. Of course, The Call is on Ausbiz every single trading day between midday and 1pm Eastern Standard Time. Ten stocks, two experts, and 60 minutes to get through them all. And uh, those stocks that we cover here on The Call every single day are provided by you. And uh, you can make your own suggestions anytime. Email The Call at ausbiz.com.au or you can uh, send through your suggestions through Twitter. So um, it is um, a lot of fun, a lot of information and some great directions on the stocks. And boy, we've got a great cross-section of different stocks today to get through as well. And the two experts that are going to hold our hand and give us their views, Andrew Page, the founder and managing director of the Strawman blog. Andrew, welcome to... uh, to the call and also to Ausbiz, good to have your company. How are you surviving the uh, the pandemic and in isolation there at home? Yes, uh, safely uh, tucked away in isolation and uh, just trying to make sense of the market like everyone else. They are very interesting times at present. Yep, they certainly are. And uh, an old mate of the call, James Rosenberg from ELNC Bayview. James, good to have your company. Thanks for having me, David. Um, you're back in full business mode. You've lost the beard and... You've got the uh, got the suit on. David, I great. had some feedback from one of your viewers. Right. Um, I won't name her, but let's call her my mother. <laughs> and uh, she didn't like the caveman look, the isolation look. So I uh, got rid of the beard. I'm wearing shoes rather than motorcycle boots, and right. um, ready to ready to rock and roll. I reckon great advice, Mum, and glad glad he took it. All right, let's get straight into it, Andrew. Uh, first of our ten stocks today on the call, uh, agribusiness uh, elders. What do you think of elders? Yeah, look, uh, Elders certainly has had uh, a, a pretty great run year to date. Uh, unlike most stocks, it's up about 25% or so. In fact, over the last five years, shareholders have done pretty well there, uh, about 170% increase. Um, it is uh, in, obviously in a very cyclical part of the economy there. Agribusiness is very, very tough. Uh, their clients are facing drought and flooding rains, uh, all of this kind of stuff. They were dealing with the fires not too long ago. So when there's a wind in their sails, this is a business that tends to do pretty well. But I do think as an investor, you do have to factor in that cyclicality. This is not always going to be a nice, even uh, uh, or smooth sailing for this business. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen that shares, uh, well, they're about 2.2% dividend yield at this point in time. I think investors have uh, got to keep a couple things in, in mind here as well, it, it, you know, when when the market reacts as favorably as it has done uh, so far year to date, that makes future uh, future returns much more difficult. There's obviously an inverse relationship between what uh, shares are doing and future returns. So people who are thinking of jumping in uh, now uh, have to account for that. There's there's a lot of optimism priced in. 
And again, I would just highlight that cyclicality. There will come a time, uh, sure as night follows day, where things aren't as good for this business and uh, it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, okay. So at this price at around eight bucks, would you be getting into it? No, it's not typically the kind of business uh, that I focus on. Um, again, you just have to you just have to bring up this company over a much longer time frame, and you can see that it, it hasn't always been uh, yeah. that good. Um, you know, so so it, this is this is one for for people who are perhaps prepared to be a little bit more agile. Um, it, it tends to be one for people who know the sector very well. It isn't really a bottom draw stock, in my opinion. Right. Um, James, you look at that that one year chart. Uh, we've seen some really ugly one year charts, um, particularly over the last couple of months. Elders, it's just been a blip for them. Has yeah. they bounced back? Look at that. The trough was it's, hardly anything. It's it really has been extraordinary, as Andrew rightly points out. It's actually been about four or five years of pretty strong growth yeah. for a company that was absolutely on its knees. Yep. They've had to tap shareholders a couple of times to uh, take pressure from the balance sheet. Look, it's a it's a as necessary an industry as you get. Yeah. It's uh, it's the rural sector, we all have to eat. Um, it's quite a complex business, there's lots of parts to it. Uh, real estate, grain marketing, wool marketing, um, so many things that touch the rural sector, but it's a deeply, deeply cyclical sector. Yeah. Done very well despite drought. Um, it's a business that I would consider more of a trading stock than an investment mm. stock. Um, I'd, as Andrew said, much prefer to buy it um, a lot lower. I suppose we want to buy everything lower, <laughs> of course, but uh, particularly for a, a, a cyclical business. Yeah. If you were to buy it, I think you'd be okay, but you'd, you're going to have to be prepared for a bumpy ride. That's, that's agriculture. Yeah. So both of you know at this price, Andrew, what price would it get on your radar? Yeah, look, I th I think I'd be after something um, with a, a four handle on the yield uh, at, at this point in time, and that's that's probably sounding pretty ambitious given where yeah. interest rates are. But I think that's just trying to account for that variability that, that okay. you're going to get. And it's sure. also a question too. I, I'm probably going to give this reply to a lot of these companies. It's it's not to sort of say that you know to shareholders this is an awful company and stay the hell away from it. it it's not, but. I think as a private investor, you can afford to be incredibly selective. There's 2,000 stocks to, to choose from. You probably only need about 20 stocks in a portfolio to be well diversified. So a lot of the time here, the question isn't, you know, is this an okay business or not? And Elders is a fine business. There's, there's, there's nothing I've got um, materially against it. But for me, the more pertinent question is, is this really what I would consider one of the top 20 best stocks out there? So I'm going to be a bit fussier, and that's probably why I need to see a yield, a much more attractive level. Yeah. James, what would you be buying? Yeah, look, I'd agree with, with that. It's, it, it's, it's not my top 20. It's probably not my top 40 and quite possibly more. Um, I don't agree with the yield argument um, that Andrew said. Um, I just don't think you can look at a deeply cyclical business um, at, at, on a dividend yield basis for a deeply cyclical business because you can wake up one day and find that... Uh, that yield's gone very, very quickly. Yeah. I, my view on that sort of company is it's more of a trading stock. Um, if you get a dividend out of it, well and good. They've only been paying dividends for about three years and, yep. and their payout ratio is actually pretty low. Oh. So in a difficult time, they should be able to sustain the dividend, but it's not the basis that I'd be looking at a company okay. like that. All right, next one up, Andrew, to, to look at is Tyro. Sort of a, what do you call it, electronic payments business, isn't it? 
Yeah, these guys um, hit the market with a, a big splash last year. I think it was the biggest public float we saw on yep. the ASX for 2019. Um, and they really got uh, hammered when this uh, COVID-19 crisis hit, down 75% at one stage. Uh, like a lot of the market, they've come back a fair way, but you're still looking uh, at a 40% reduction and still about 30% below that listing price that they had uh, last year. Um, but it is an interesting business. Um, these guys are up, largely provide FPOS terminals is probably the mm. best way to think of them. And in, in that game, they're the fifth largest player behind the four major banks. Um, and like they've done very well to, to capture market share uh, as they have. They've been around since about 2003. Um, we saw transaction values actually holding up pretty well for the month of March, but no surprise here whatsoever, given that a lot of their customers, particularly in retail and hospitality, which we all know have been hit massively, massively hard. So the latest update that they provided to the market, there was a 37% drop in transaction values. I'd wager that that's things are likely to get a lot worse there before they, they get better. Company's done the right thing. They've withdrawn uh, their guidance. Um, it's very tough to sort of know where they're going to end up uh, at the full year. Um, but look, they, they do have a very strong balance sheet. They've got about 150 million plus in, in cash on hand. So it looks like they will weather this storm. But uh, the, the investment case here really is one of being able to challenge the incumbents and, and really capture some market share. They're still sitting on a price to sales multiple of about five, which is pretty robust. And, uh, you know, they've got some pretty bold ambitions, but I, I can't see the, the big competitors, the big four banks just uh, lying down and taking that. So it, it's going to be tough. Um, so for me, it's hmm. way too risky at present, given the, all the unknowns and and uh, and just just how meaty that valuation is. Yeah. Um, James, it's had a, a big pullback. Uh, on its, it, it's Almost a, on it's its a booming sector. Electronic yeah. payments in all its different forms is a booming sector, yeah. and it's going to continue. Yeah, as contactless. Um, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, now, these guys, uh, as Andrew said, they're the fifth biggest provider of FPOS terminals. They don't actually own the, um, own the box. They no. uh, own the IP behind the routing. And they're cheaper than the banks, which makes them uh, a good proposition for retailers. The problem that I have around this business is the risks that could absolutely destroy them. So if the banks decide to make FPOS a loss leader, right, and become where, more where, price competitive, where does yep. that where does that leave Tyro? Yep. I, I like I like the story. It's just too much risk for me. Okay, all right, and something that the banks could do pretty quickly and easily, they couldn't could, they? they could Turn but it on tomorrow. The whole story, merchants. Hey, we're here to help you recover. In the retail sector, the whole lot, um, all, all that and that that starts to undermine them. Okay, all right, really good point. Um, third on the list, James, do you want to kick this one off? Australian ethical investment, sort of a ethical wealth management business in that managed funds and super business. It's a it's a growing area of, yep. of interest for a range of people, and you look at the um, they've got around four billion dollars under management. Um, I think about eighty thousand people who, uh, um, no, I'm sorry, that might not be correct. I think balances are, are, are sub $80,000. So that suggests to me that it's more a younger demographic, which is yep. probably a growing demographic, but um, not one that is um, is uh, <coughs> is 
saving a lot of money. The, the yeah. younger people are in the prime spending times uh, of their life. We're going to talk about baby bunting a bit later. But um, look, the performance of the company's been quite good. It's quite a high cost business, surprisingly high cost business for, um, for a fund manager. Yeah, why? Um, why is that? I can't work it out. They've got a hell of a lot of people there. They seem to be pretty well paid. Right. Um, for a company with less than $4 billion in management, I think they've got about 40 staff. Right. Um, okay. So it's pretty... And you have a look at the remuneration report. And for a company that is based on ethical investment, um, I'm not saying for a minute they're doing anything unethical, please. Right. I don't want to give that impression. But it's not particular... There's not a lot of clarity in the report. Right. And I would have thought that if you're... Uh, focus is on all of that warm, fuzzy stuff that you know we want. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You'd probably want to be um, a little more upfront with shareholders. Okay, all right. That's an interesting comment, Andrew. Did you pick that up? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, all of what James said there. I mean, it is worth uh, pointing out that these guys have have done particularly well out of this ethical investing thematic. I mean, the shares are up about fifteen fold since two thousand and thirteen. Uh, a lot of the financial metrics are very, very attractive. Uh, you know, they've got a return on equity above 30% or so. The, the per share mm. earnings for shareholders have just been going really strong. Uh, the balance sheet is very robust. There's no debt there. Um, but they, again, even the, despite that pullback, they are, they are very richly priced. And, uh, you know, one of the things you have to watch with fund managers is the potential for fund flows here. So, if, if everyone gets a little bit nervous and pulls their money out, well, that's less asset under management. That's going to impact fees. And, and really, the big driver of their performance in the last five years or so has been this big pile of funds that have just flown in, into their coffers for them to manage. Um, and that can reverse. And, and it's something to be, to be aware of as well. You know, just a note on the actual funds that they manage, they have had a modest outperformance there as well. So they are actually delivering, delivering value uh, uh, to their to their unit holders, um, but yeah, pretty high cost base as James rightly mentioned. Okay, so in that sector, is there a better op- uh, a better option? I think there's a lot of better options um, in terms of their investment performance. As Andrew said, that's really the key to it, and it's been quite good. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they perform in you know post Corona world yeah. and what sort of focus people have in an economy that's clearly going to be difficult, and particularly if. <clears throat> any young millennials take advantage of that $20,000 out of your super if you need it. That's um, presumably, um, that, that demographic is quite high in casual workers yes. and therefore they're absolutely the ones that have been um, put out of work, hopefully very yeah. temporarily, yeah. Um, and so they may be at risk of redemptions. The other thing about a funds manager is that they're very, very leveraged to markets. They get paid on managing money. So when the things that are the um, influences on that are fund flow, people putting yep. money or taking money out of their funds and the value of money that they're, in, that they're managing. So when you have a really strong market, the value of the money they're managing rises, just rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. Um, they tend to get a lot of inflow when things are going well. Um, and then of course you get PE expansion. But when that reverses, all those three things are un- unwound, and it can be unwound pretty significantly. We've seen uh, big falls in share prices of the likes of Magellan Financial Group, yep. um, doing particularly well in a difficult environment, 
But those th three things are, are affecting their share price, although they have a pretty big bounce this week. Mm. Um, again, I just think it's yep. probably not the right time. And are they best of breed? Uh, for me, no. Who's um, the best of breed? Oh, at the moment, Magellan. 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 Okay. But, but um, if you have a... Um, to go and buy into a fund manager, you've got to have a very positive outlook on the market. They are yep. leveraged to markets. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether um, the market's cheap, whether we're going to have another leg down. <laughs> yeah, and where, you, and where you sit on, on that argument depends yep. on whether you want to invest in that sector. Once you've made that decision, you find the right company for you. And if it ticks the boxes from a um, yep. feel-good point of view, knock yourself yep. out. But it is expensive. Um, Andrew, uh, Magellan a better option? Yeah, I think so. It's also worth pointing out too. You've got to sort of uh, question this this competitive um, position that they have. As I said, this ethical thematic is a very is one that very much resonates, particularly with younger investors. Yeah. But you know, uh, other fund managers can say, "Hey, we're starting an ethical fund too." So they they yeah. were perhaps had a bit of a first mover, an early mover advantage there. So um, that that's not necessarily sustainable. So that's that's something I'd just be a bit mindful of. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and it is. It is a big theme, particularly for millennials, and you see it with, with a lot of family money at the moment, the intergenerational change as that next generation says, hey, we, we want to invest not only for return, but, but also community value and something to sit with our own value. So nice space to be in, that's, but that's, you've got to deliver. That's, that's right. Too. And you do have to deliver. And that's another risk worth thinking about with fund managers is there's key people risk in there. You know, there, yep. there are there are real people managing these funds. And as, as we said, they've actually got a good performance through to date. But some of those people might decide to leave and start yep. funds of their own. And maybe the next the next cohort that comes in aren't, aren't that good. And, and even the best investors have, have, have a rough patch as well. And, and investors are incredibly fickle as soon as you see yep. a year or two of bad returns. Even if for the best of reasons, you know, people people can abandon ship. So, yep. um, yeah, not, sure. not one for me at, the, at present. Okay. All right, let's move on to our uh, our fourth stock of the 10, uh, Smart Group. Uh, sort of, uh, James, sort of a salary packaging sort of group is an administration group. Yep, and done phenomenally well. There's two main players in this space, Macmillan, Shakespeare and Smart Group. Yeah. Macmillan tends to be in the higher growth uh, corporate space whereas uh, Smart Group tends to be more government, hospitals, semi-governments, yeah. not-for-profits. Okay. Probably yep. lower growth, but probably a lot stickier. Right. Um, great business, gonna have a difficult year. Um, you've seen new car sales absolutely plummet well before coronavirus. Um, so presumably most of that is, uh, is, is much of that is retail. Um, the problem, the risk with a company like Smart Group, and I like it, but the risk is that um, it can be taken away from them with a stroke of a government pen. We saw the Rudd government do that during the GFC. Yep. There was massive outcry and it came back. We all know the governments are going to be under tremendous pressure once uh, we start repairing, going on with our normal mm. lives and repairing the economy. Mm. Is fringe benefits an area of target? Remains to be seen. I like the business, but gee, be well aware of the risk. Okay, all right, Andrew? Yep, I'm going to concur with all of that. Uh, definitely worth pointing out their performance to date. On a per share basis, the earnings, the profits of this company have grown at 25% per annum compound since 2015. Wow. So they've done incredibly well. 
a lot of their money made through what you call a novated car lease. Uh, so it's basically you take on a lease and you novate that to your employer. So you get all these tax benefits, as James was, was referring to there as well, which, again, there's, there's uh, um, issues of whether that, that continues under its current guise. Um, as you see on the chart there, things really turned around a bit. The most recent full year result, they saw net profit increase 4%. That's, uh, that's not too bad, but compared to that 25% average that we were sort of looking at before, the market has, has very quickly repriced that uh, as well. So we knew the economy was doing it pretty tough before this uh, COVID-19 crisis uh, hit as well. It's a very uh, bold person, I think, that's going to see new car sales uh, improve anytime soon. So. Uh, it, it, this, is, this is one for me uh, when you add all of that together it's just a little bit too risky at this point okay so and new car James, yeah very risky. much so yeah. and, and new car sales are a, um, a, a real barometer of the economy yeah. when um, we, long before coronavirus we've seen many many months of declines of, of new car sales yeah. it's the canary in the coal mine you simply don't go out and commit to a very, very big purchase like that, unless you're confident of your uh, continued employment or the hours yeah. worked or whatever. I like the business. And, and I house, really like the business. Going it's up. come and yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, it's come down enormously. It's trading on about a third of what it was at yeah. its peak. And it hasn't so, bounced back at all in the last couple of weeks, has it? Little it's tiny still, bit. I yeah. do like it. I'd be happy to buy it, but you have to be aware of that risk. Right. Okay. So we put you down as a tick for it, yeah. as a buy. Okay. All right, Andrew avoiding it though, but understand the risk and what the government may do to the tax system to try and get back all of the stimulus package uh, money that they've spent. It's uh, something really worth considering. The, the, the only, just one last thing I'd add is um, where this business is, is um, mainly in, in government and semi-government, they're pretty good at looking after themselves. Right, okay. They're the last ones to feel any pain. Okay, all right, so well remunerated. Okay, all right, we get the nod. Um, baby Bunting became a grandfather this week for the sixth time, so I'm right into buying baby goods at the moment. Uh, Andrew, what's it like as a retailer? Well, look, it is a retailer. I guess that's the first thing to, to say. And, and retail is a notoriously tough business um, yeah. and uh, one that's not getting any easier. So, it, you know, when you're going into, into retail in any kind of under any sort of brand, you just you just got to be aware that, you know, statistically the odds the odds are against you there. So it is a tough business. Yeah. But look, these guys. These guys have done uh, very, very well. Sales have actually been pretty good. You know, the last five years, they've averaged a top line growth, double digit, I think about 12% on average over that, that period of time. Um, they did have a little bit of trouble with their online sales, a bit of a hiccup with their uh, website in the most recent half, which had a bit of a, a hit as well. Um, but look, longer term, I think, I think, you know, they're these big box retailer um, uh, they they do have a bit of a, a pricing advantage if they can operate at, at, at scale. Um, uh, they've got they've got a good spread, fifty two stores in Australia, but that's where they do operate. And I think the thing you've got to remember here as well is Australia is a very very small market. So a lot of these retailers that have this wonderful early growth as they sort of capture market share and, and in a lot of cases sort of define the segment that they're in. Um, it's dangerous for shareholders to extrapolate that to infinity. We're not the US with 300 million odd people. Yeah. So things will in, will very naturally start to plateau out. That doesn't mean it's a bad business. I mean, it can be a wonderful business, but I think there is danger here 
where investors get very used to that that early rate of growth and sort of extrapolate that out, out to infinity. You're looking at a business based on last year's numbers. Now this year is going to be much, much, much weaker. Um, it just has to be, and we're not we're not shopping. People are losing jobs and all this yeah. horrible kind of stuff. But even on last year's numbers and at the current price, we're looking at a company here who's on a price to earnings ratio of about 22. So for for a tough business in a relatively small market, yes, very well operated. They seem to have done well. Thin margin, a great deal of short-term uncertainty. It's it's a bit too pricey for me. Mm, okay, David. Firstly, congratulations on the birth of your sixth grandchild. I had a uh, a client say to me a couple of years ago on the occasion of the birth of his sixth grandchild that the five most beautiful words in the English language are "say good night to grandpa." Uh, yes. Um, this company. Um, was listed in an economy that was doing really well and yes. a consumer economy that was absolutely booming. And yep. that's been the case for a few years now. When we come out of you know, the lockdown that we're in, a lot of people are going to be under significant financial duress. And when we were babies, we had the hand-me-down from the sister, yeah, yeah. from the neighbour, from the cousin, well, you went to the one that had been in the attic that was repainted, yep. whether it was the stroller or the pram or whatever. Um, you know, we're all fine. Safety wasn't an issue uh, right. for, for us. It'll be interesting to see how people, whether they're still keen to buy the very brand new, shiny and the absolute best for their baby out of it. Um, yes, we are a small um, population country, but there's 6,000 babies born every week. Yep. So there's a continuing market there. Who knows, with this lockdown, there might be a, uh, a baby boom. Uh, 2033... <laughs> Um, that, that those uh, that those uh, those kids will probably be called the quarantines. Yep. Yeah. Um, with thanks to my colleague Tim Monkton for that. Um, <laughs> look, it, they've done really well as a niche business. The share yep. price has come down a lot, but as Andrew rightly says, it's still expensive for yep. a, a retailer in an industry that's never faced a difficult consumer environment. Yeah. Exactly. And you um, next one, we go to to the other extreme, Andrew. Uh, Lendlease Corporation had its uh, had its fair share of issues over the last six months. How do you see that going? Yeah, it's it's part of the course for these big construction and infrastructure type of companies. I mean, try and try and think of a project that ever arrived on time and, and on budget. Uh, it, it is just the nature of the beast here. Um, it it does depend a lot on things like government spending. Um, and that kind of thing. And look, perhaps as we try to reinvigorate things and stimulate the economy, we, we might be able to expect a bit of uh, extra funds headed that way. But this is, you can see from the chart that's up on the screen at the moment, this is like a, a bit of a sine curve in terms of the share price. In fact, you could zoom out over a much longer period and it, it, it really does tend to go up or down. So I'd actually cut and paste a few of those comments I made with elders very different industry, of course, but that same cyclicality is is very, very evident. And it's something that you need to bear in mind as an investor. So you get this at the right point in, in, in the cycle on the upswing, you can do very, very well. But when things turn against you, they can they can go pretty bad and they can stay pretty bad yeah. for, for a while. I mean, you know, the share price is, is uh, basically back where it was about five years or, or so. It's essentially tracked sideways over that period, although moving considerably up and below that point over, over that period of time. So, um, again, it's, it's not, one for, not one for me. Uh, they, they do have a lot of offshore exposure as well, um, and maybe a, a weaker dollar will help, and some extra government spending will, will kind of help. But 
geez, very, very, very tough. And just I go back to thinking there's just better alternatives out there. And, and James Goldman's put out a report today forecasting a 30% drop in office rents in Sydney and Melbourne over the next two years as well. That's... Uh, doesn't augur well for these sorts of construction companies. No, it doesn't. Look, as a construction company, it's a really good one. They're high quality, big um, hospitals, the entertainment centre, um, you know, big shopping centres. Um, yeah. Their revenues are always going to be very lumpy. That's the nature of it. Uh, debt's probably a little bit higher than I would like to see for a business like this, about 60% debt to equity. Yeah. It, as Andrew rightly points out, it's a um, it's a cyclical business, and to buy it at the right time, you can do really well on it. I'd like to think that with a, a PE broadly the lowest it's been for five or six years, <coughs> it, it may be the right time. The question I have is that every time there's been an economic downturn, governments have tried to stimulate economies, the depression, they built the Harbour Bridge and the yeah. Hoover Dam and all sorts of things. The opposite's the case at the moment. They're trying to stifle economic activity to beat the health problem. But when they come out of it and want to try and pick the economy up, will they have money left for yeah. these really big projects? Will governments be able to afford to um, fund infrastructure that we badly need um, in an environment where mm. budgets are absolutely shot to pieces? It's um, I, I, they're a really, as construction companies go, they're a really, really good one, but yeah. that worries me a little bit. Yeah. And they're not going to go broke. They're not going to no, go broke. No, no, But it might be a more difficult time than you'd normally see coming into more challenged economic times from government expenditure anyway. Yeah, Andrew, because we've, we've had an infrastructure boom over the last couple of years, particularly in New South Wales, haven't we? It was, um, as they tried to, to keep the the New South Wales economy going pretty well. Um, will that continue? I noticed yesterday um, New South Wales government opened tenders for the new Western Rail link as well. So what do you reckon about James's comment that that could start to fall off? Yeah, uh, it's, it's just so hard to pick. I mean, the, the thing that I always think when I look at these kinds of companies, you sit back. I mean, I'm, I'm not a specialist in this area, but when I listen to the specialists, you'll have one very smart person on the left giving a very bullish interpretation of the outlook and someone just as well credentialed and smart on the right saying the exact opposite. And they both can't be right. And it's just notoriously, notoriously difficult to forecast. So um, it, it's it's just one that I, I'm quite happy to put into the too hard basket. I think, I think investors have to be mindful of this. You, you don't get extra points for degree of difficulty in investing, you know. So um, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I, I, will, I will happily just push to the side and focus on a much lower hurdle. I, I'm like Buffett. I like to, you know, step over a one-foot bar than try and hurdle over a six-foot one. Okay. All right. Yep. Good point. Um, well, you both talk about... Um, throughout the hour uh, wouldn't make your top 20 stocks at the moment and hey uh, why jump over a high bar when there are plenty of, of smaller ones so um, start thinking about it now at the end of the session I'll say give us one stock that's in your top 20 okay that is that one foot hurdle to get over um, next one independence group in that mining and an exploration area Andrew what do you think of independence um, James will be able to predict my answer here. I think generally as a sector, it's, it's <laughs> awful. It's, it's where shareholder capital goes to die. 
and 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 it's just the, the reality is it's an extraordinarily um, uh, tough space to operate in. Um, and, and you don't have to take my word for it. You, you can look at these sector averages over very, very long periods of time, different geographies, different markets. As a rule, they just do very, very, very badly. I mean, even once, even once you actually manage to pivot from exploration to production, and these guys have, so I'll come back to them specifically mm. in a moment. You know, you've got a commodity play here. Copper is copper is copper. And when the price is super high, it just spurs a lot of extra supply to come on. And that just means that your margins are never really that attractive. Um, is, it, it, it is very capital hungry. You can see here with these guys that, you know, their share count has increased substantially over the years because they keep having to tap shareholders um, on the shoulder for more cash to, to keep them going. Um, so if you bought shares in Independence Group 10 years ago, you're about where, where you were then today. That being said, um, the last four years have been very good for these guys. They are producers. They are actually profitable. They look like they've got a pretty strong balance sheet, about 396 million in net cash. So, so it does it does very much distinguish them from a lot of the rubbish kind of uh, 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 companies in this space. Um, as a business, they're not likely to have too much of a direct impact from from COVID-19. Just the nature of the business, where they're located, what what they kind of do. But again, you know, as a, as a sector, for all of the reasons I outlined, outlined, and I know it's only a one-hour show, so I won't go on, but that's, that's probably enough to, to keep, to keep James, me away. James, you're on the same page as Andrew? I, I am. Um, Andrew's response is the least surprising thing I think I've ever heard. Uh, look, I just, it's not a sector that's on my radar. It's right. highly capital intensive. They're price takers. Every time a truck leaves a mine laden with, with ore, it, it's, it reduces its mine life by one truckload. Um, you as, you as, could as, say that about Fortescue. You could, could say you? that, absolutely. I could say that about Fortescue, right. 100%. Right. And do say it about Fortescue. Right. Um, but you've missed a great run with Fortescue, though. I just think there are better things to have. Um, right. You know, it's a, and Fortescue's done an extraordinarily yeah. good job from, you know, the gift of the gab of Andrew Forrest to, to raise money at extortionist junk bond rates um, to build this incredible uh, company and pay down all that debt yep. um, and refinance it into more commercial debt. It's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. I'd much prefer to own a Fortescue than an Independence, right. um, but or IGO Limited. I think they're now known. Yep. Um, but I'm not saying I'm advocating Fortescue. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to have one of those guys. But it's just not a sector I like. They're right. highly, highly capital intensive. Return on equity is dreadful. Um, it, it's not on my radar. I don't like that type of business. Right. I don't have a particular view on this company, yep. but I, I wouldn't buy it, and I don't recall ever suggesting a client buys it. Perfect. All right. I, I well, just add one more thing there too, Koshi. In terms yep. of the, there's always the exceptions that prove the rule. There's actually quite a bit of analogies here in terms of biotech companies. I mean, 99.9% of them will, will destroy all your money, but the one that makes it, will make you, you know, a gazillion dollars. So when it goes right, it goes really, really, really right. But it's kind of like advocating, you know, the, the investment sense of a lottery ticket. You get the right numbers, no question, you'll do very well, but the chances of you getting the right numbers are, are pretty low. So if you're gonna play in that space, you need to be a specialist and you need yeah. to understand things very, very well. That's why I love the call each and every trading day here on AusBiz. Um, we look at 10 stocks with two experts that absolutely tells it the way it is, sort of, um, which 
There's no doubt dancing around any of these stocks, and that's fabulous. And so it's great to have Andrew Page, the founder at MD of Strawman.com, as part of the panel today, and James Rosenberg from ELNC Bayview as well. And uh, really appreciate your time and your comments today, because as I say, they tell it the way it is, and that's the way we like it when we're investing in the markets. Uh, what about Max Seven uh, Technology, a healthcare? Oh, healthcare company, a healthcare tech company, I suppose, provides image management services into the health space. Um, James? Is that what they are today? Yeah. Um, David, <laughs> um, I'd never heard of this company, but right. uh, when you asked me to come on, and that was one of the names I knew without looking at it, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. You try to be open-minded about these things. Sure. Uh, but this company has been listed since 2005. It's had several name changes, several business changes. They're currently image um, digital image management software in the medical field, so yep. presumably trying to copy ProMedicus, which has been wildly successful. Yep. Um, in 2005, they've never burdened shareholders with a uh, with a profit, uh, much less a dividend. I mean, who wants that papy, pesky paperwork around a dividend statement? For a company that's never made a profit, they, uh, their address, I happened to look up, 20 Collins Street. It's about as risky uh, as... Um, um, Ritzy yeah, address, yeah. the Paris end of Collins Street, Melbourne, as you can get. So I imagine yeah. it's not a cheap um, thing. They've raised money every year for the last six uh, years. Their, their shares outstanding have gone from four million in 2013 to 182 million now. Now um, that reminds me, uh, you're old enough to remember uh, Trevor Sykes, the wonderful yes, Pierpont column. Yes, absolutely. He, he had a company that was uh, a fictitious camp company, Blue Sky Mining, yeah. and where the only thing they mined was. The shareholders. shareholders yeah. um, I, not for me. All right, Andrew. I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a much more um, optimistic uh, view of, of oh. this. Uh, James, 100% right in everything he said. Um, so when you're when you're developing high technology for big markets like this, a huge amount of money is is invested in R and D, and a good deal just by nature of that, a good deal of it is wasted. So for a long time, it just, it's just not something you'd look at. However, um, what has changed recently is that we have seen these guys grow their sales very quickly. They've actually got some products now. They've actually got some very, very good products, and they're actually selling um, uh, quite a few of them as well. So you're actually seeing revenue growth of about 158% in the recent half, and we've seen a five times increase in sales over the past three years. And what's interesting about businesses like this, and this was not not too dissimilar to, to ProMedicus not that long ago, where they they have this sort of fixed cost base, and as these sales past a certain inflection point, you tip into profitability. But because the, the cost base is relatively fixed, even though you've got this very high rapid growth in sales, the growth at the bottom line is even more substantial as well. Um, the contracts that they tend to sign for these products are with with very large. Um, well-resourced hospitals, they tend to be very long-term, and they tend to be very sticky. So this was always a gunner company. You know, it was always going to be successful for so long, and, and James is 100% right in all the comments. I don't know it well enough. I am a shareholder in ProMedicus, and I'm just happy to mention that because I'll tell anyone who'll listen. Stop um, boasting. But, but Stop it, boasting, Andrew. It, it has... <laughs> 
uh, bought it at 80 cents, but who's counting? Um, but the, the, the point here is that this, this, this has the potential, and it's in a very, very similar uh, space. It's often called a baby chromaticus to go that way. Now, of course, mm. the market gets very excited about all of these kinds of things. So often you get a situation where when the outlook actually turns very favorable, um, you have to pay up for that. And it is entirely possible to do badly invested in a good company if you pay too high a price. And these guys are trading at about a five times price to sales ratio, which traditionally is, is very expensive in, in um, you know, the last few years, perhaps perhaps less so. But it, what it means is, is that yes, they, their future looks a lot brighter than it ever has, but they need to deliver on that and then some for you to do well as a shareholder. So I actually think as a more speculative investment, it's not too bad. It actually ranks pretty well on Strawman amongst our community, about number 37 uh, on the platform. But do bear in mind, it is it is a more speculative stock. Okay, all right, bit of a tick there. Um, so you wouldn't switch out of ProMedicus into this one or vice versa? No, no Prometicus is much further ahead in terms of its stage of development. Right. Prometicus has a, a what you'd call a fortress balance sheet. I mean, these guys have just got cash. Uh, you know, it's a Scrooge McDuck kind of vault um, in terms of, of their cash. Right. Very, very reliable. So they uh, work, wouldn't be in don't, 20 don't, columns. Don't start, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started. Okay, yeah. all right. Go on for a long time. All right, let's move on to where our... Number nine stock of the top 10 on the call today, uh, Breville Group, um, one of the great Australian brand names up there with, with Hills Hoys, is it a uh, multinational manufacturer of, of home appliance products? Not that I'm that, that skilled at using any of their products, but uh, I'm told they're sensational. Um, James, what do you reckon as an investment? Yeah, look, I, I like it. Um, I like the company. They've been really innovative. We've gone through a huge societal change in the last, in my generation, um, where kitchen used to be sort of hidden away and, and now yeah. we live in open plan areas, the kitchen, dining yeah. room, living areas all together. Everyone so not wants only to be we, on my kitchen rules well, or MasterChef. Yeah. Um, not only do we want to have kitchen appliances that are functional, but we want them to look nice too. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. has been a niche market that these guys have done really well. They design develop, manufacture and distribute. They're like a work of art, aren't they? Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. They're really great. Um, I, um, I I like the business. Um, they have had to withdraw guidance. Yeah. You know, I think it, there's very, very few companies that can have any guidance at the moment. Share price has come down a fair way, but it's still um, almost 30 times trailing earnings. So it's, mm. it's, it's not a bargain, but I, I like it. I like the management. They're going through a transformation and going into more direct um, sales channels, which should open up a whole lot more geographic um, locations for them. At the moment, they're Australia, New Zealand, Europe, and the and the US yep. through distribution channels. Yeah, um, doing it doing it direct should be very successful for them. But I like the business. Don't love the share price um, right. as as a potential to buy. But um, but yeah, it, what would the share company. price need to get down to? to be interested? Um, well, put it this way, the, the PE low and high in the last year has been 17.7 times, this is trailing, and yeah. 46 times at a high. It's currently oh. sitting just under 30. I right. prefer to be buying it on the lows. Ram, down to 17. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? Breville. 
Yeah, yeah, James, James has nailed it again. Um, I, I'd agree with all of that. It, conceptually, it's a business that that I I, I shouldn't like. Um, there's an old saying out there that in the long term everything is a toaster, and it just means that you know any any technological sort of edge you have is eventually commoditized. And I guess an iPhone is a more modern example of that. It was only Apple that could do the iPhone, and nowadays even the more average kind of smartphone will kind of kind of do most of those things. So. It, it's one of those ones where you continually need to uh, innovate uh, and invent, and you've got to wonder how much you can sort of do that on a toaster. And of course, I'm being overly simplistic here. They, these guys have, have actually done an incredible job in terms of product innovation, but it's what's, what's more important, I would argue, than the actual products themselves, and they've got a good reputation for, for quality there, but it's the brand name as well. Yep. They are really brand managers here more than anything else. So that you, what you want uh, is consumers to just you know, I need to buy a blender. You see, you know, four or five on the shelf. You know that the Breville is going, well, you think that the Breville is going to be the better one. And that gives you pricing power and that gives you market share. And I think they've, they've been extremely good at that. And that's that's evident by the fact that they've got a very decent operating margin for a, for a, a manufacturer is, is, is pretty decent. You saw on that chart there is a huge fall yeah. uh, top to bottom, about 50%. But, but if you actually look at where they were on January 1, they're only down about 6% from the start of the year. So you know, they've, they've, they've really held up well. If, if I had said to you at the beginning of the year, what is going to happen in 2020? And you know, knowing what you know about this business, you would expect them to be down a lot more than that. So they've held up very, very strongly. I think they've got very good potential uh, going into Europe. Um, I think that if, if they can have some success there, they've got a, a long runway there for, for further growth. It's a very, very well-run business. Overseas, in fact, accounts for about 80% of their profits. So in the short term, this, this thumping that the Aussie dollar has had, it's going to be good news for them. That's going to mean more, more profit in, in local currency terms. But all of that being said, I'm going to agree with James again. Uh, I think it's a good business, but at, at a PE of almost 30, it's a bit too right. rich for my blood. Okay, wait for any pullback in the share price. Okay, uh, our final one, the top 10 of the call today. Um, Another one of these um, uh, companies for the generation, I suppose, what we're going through. Marley Spoon. Who would have thought 10 years ago that you could have a subscription-based meal supply business coming through? Uh, but that, that's the way consumers have changed over the last 10 years. Um, James, what do you think of Marley Spoon? Meals on wheels for young people. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it's, it's only been listed about a year, I yeah, think. Um, been long. It's, I haven't worked out why. It's a German business that's uh, listed in Australia. I'm not, yeah. It's probably in a demographic of one. Um, it's too early to tell from yeah. a financial point of view. Clearly, they have had a link up with Woolies, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. they're booming at the moment because of this lockdown. They're yeah. absolutely booming at the moment. That they they've described uh, unprecedented surge in demand for meal kits. <laughs> um, not surprising given what we're going through. I just don't know how long that will continue, and when we come out of it, will people who've who've been buying these meal kits will they continue? Yep. Um, I, I, it's too early to tell for me. Uh, I wouldn't invest in the in the company at the moment, but I'd be happy to try the product. Okay. Andrew, what do you think? This is what it's, it's one of those, it's like bottled water. You know, you just think who on earth is, you know, you remember when that came out? Like, yep. why would I do that for? And, pa and, and pay the equivalent of a litre of petrol for it. <laughs> exactly, you know? 
and yet here we are. Here we are. It's one of the best sellers, you know, in yep. terms of uh, of drinks. And 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 this is this is the thematic here. It's kind of like the WeWork or the Uber, but yes. you know, this is food as a service. And the bet here from the bulls that the supporters of this stock will say that actually, you know, as crazy as this might seem, this is going to be huge. And whoever wins in this space, a lot of these companies all work very, very poorly until they hit scale and then they work very, very well. And there's a lot of other players in this space. You look forward 10 years and I would would very strongly wager that 95% of them will go bust. But those that remain will probably be very immensely profitable. So you're making a bet here that these are the ones that are going to survive. Their sales have grown incredibly strongly recently. But if we strip out, if we normalize this this COVID-19 sort of impact, they were already growing incredibly fast uh, as well. But at the same time, they are bleeding cash in terms of the losses that they are making. So again, like Uber, like the WeWork, we will spend, spend, spend to get market share. So we will eventually be profitable. And that is where the value lies. 26% of the revenue that they make is on marketing alone. And they need to sort of spend that. So, so um, worth mentioning, this is still below the issue price. This is very much a story stock. Yes, if this ends up being the one or two that ends up surviving, investors will probably do well. But just understand how, how tough that is. Uh, just a quick recap. Elders uh, know from both guides, very cyclical stock. Uh, Tyro know as well because the big four banks, if they start to squeeze the margin on EPOS, that will squeeze Tyro or reduce their fees. Uh, Australian Ethical Investments, uh, best of breed in that area is Magellan. Uh, Smart Group, a bit too risky for both of them, although uh, James certainly understood the area, but uh, Macmillan probably a better alternative in that space. No, I think Smart Group's a better, a lower lower risk. Lower risk for Macmillan. Um, Baby Bunting, niche product, retailer, how will it come out the other end? No on Lend-Lease, Independence Group are no as well. Max7 Tech. Definitely a no from James. Uh, Andrew thinks it could be a speculative buy. Both love Breville, but at a much lower price and earnings and no on Marley Spoon. Andrew Page, founder and managing director of strawman.com. Thank you for your time on the call. Really enjoyed it today. Appreciate it. And also James Rosenberg from ELNC Bayview. Really good to see you again. Thanks for having me. That's it for the call for today. We will be back next Tuesday, the next trading day. Of course, we've got Good Friday and Easter Monday between now and then.